Welcome to Career View. This is the podcast where we ask questions you want to know when it comes to pursuing a career path. I'm your host, Nirija Shamal, and each episode I will ask questions on behalf of students across the country from secondary schools and universities what they want to know when it comes to pursuing their dream job. For today's episode, I'll be asking top questions that have been submitted by students on our Career View website who are interested in a career as a dietitian. Joining me today is accredited practicing dietitian, Naomi Crosby, who has worked in hospitals and research institutes. Now, Naomi started her career in rural areas after completing her placements in Australia and the Philippines, which really fueled her interest in the pediatrics and global health. She has a lot of great advice to share. So let's hear from her. All right, we're back here for another episode. We got Naomi here. Naomi, how's everything going? I know you're a serious traveler. I know you love living life to the fullest. What's been happening? Oh, I have been traveling recently. Just spent a few weeks in Melbourne, which was kind of like a working travel study period. Spent some time in a culinary kitchen, saw some nice things, visited some wine regions. It was really nice. Very, very relaxing Mm -hmm. by the sounds of it. And Naomi, we got some great questions for you. We have a lot of students who are interested in a career path of a dietitian. Really interesting questions from a number of different schools we've been able to get for yourself. But before we jump into those questions, I want to take you back to high school and I want to understand what is Naomi like in high school and what was she thinking at the time? What was the dream? Where did she want to go in terms of career and just figuring out life? What a satisfying way to think about your past. So yeah, I'm from Adelaide. So I was at Adelaide High School and I had a really great five years there. You could probably sum me up as a peppy kind of, (laughs) I was in leadership roles and did lots of sport and Mm. theatre and loved school and did all of the different topics. And I wasn't thinking about my career very practically. I was quite present in each year level. And then it obviously experts and teachers start asking you, what are you going to do when you get to year 11 and year 12? And I was doing the sciences mostly and also doing quite a lot of theatre. I did musicals and cabarets. and <laughs> I had two answers to them that I was going to either do medicine or I was going to do musical theatre. <laughs> and that was fine. I just sat that there and then for the next two years studied hard and just, yeah, enjoyed the high school experience. <laughs> Naomi, that's two different worlds altogether. So that is, I mean, their reaction would have been, what does she want to do? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember someone saying, that would be a waste. You should go to the UN. <laughs> that really spun me out again. So that's a whole nother realm. Different realm. But yeah, I guess I was quite free spirited, total dreamer, young person, really loved food as well throughout that process. But yeah, I wasn't really thinking too far ahead. Just in, like enjoyed digging myself into what I was doing and giving it my best. I think, and that's a really important thing during school is to just try and enjoy things and see what's out there and you don't need to have an answer. I think that's the main thing. So Naomi, we got some great questions. So jumping into the top questions that are asked by students, the first question that we have for you is, how did you know that this was the right career for you? Whoa, that's a heavy one. <laughs> I can imagine someone writing that is worrying that if they make the wrong decision, that how do they know that they're going to make the right choice? And I guess I was lucky that I was quite free spirited. I just jumped into my course and just dug into each unit and kept going. And each semester I was reflecting, oh, do I even like this? What is this even going to mean for my life? 
So the honest answer was I really didn't know mm. and I probably didn't know even into my first few jobs. Mm. I was thinking, is this really for me? Yeah. It's a lot of admin. It's a lot of politics, a lot of driving. <laughs> but then, yeah, I guess little segments or fragments of the like the course material I was doing yeah. or certain moments with patients or really when I got to talk to my friends about the things I was interested in and learning, mm. That's when I started to realise I really enjoy this and I started to do it as more of a hobby. Yeah, it was kind of probably not all at the one moment kind of thing for me. But yeah, I guess starting to meet other dietitians and the ones that I resonated with and hearing about their career pathways, I thought, oh, like I would love to do that and I want to know more about X and, and how did you do Y? But yeah, I, I have a feeling that I won't always just do dietetics as well. So <laughs> I knew somehow that it was the right career for me for now. Where did that awareness come from? It was it just natural? It came intuitively or did you have to seek and try to find some meaning behind what you were doing? Definitely. To become a dietitian, you need to do a few placements and that's mostly in that kind of third year. But about first year in, I was still thinking, is this for me? So I started to ask around, ask my lecturers and say, I'm not sure if I want to do this. Yeah. Do you have anyone I can talk to? So I, yeah, networking was something I enjoyed, something I did through high school. Mm. And then they that just, yeah, kind of spiraled on. And then through placements, you have to do a lot of reflection as a clinician. And mm. so they encourage you to think, how was your day-to-day? -day? What were your clients like? What did you learn from them? What did you teach them? Mm. And so I was, yeah, thinking about why am I here and what do I want to get out of it? And that really helped me reflect on what kind of dietitian do I want to be? I think the key takeaway there is ask questions, network, network, network. Absolutely. Make the effort to go up to someone and ask those questions, especially to lecturers or to your teachers. They're actually more inclined to answer and give you great advice. And it's so many times that we just don't do that. We just think, <laughs> let's not bother them or let's keep it to ourselves or let's figure it out later. The people around you are most of the time going to be helping you. Yes, actually, can I say that was the best advice I got given was ask questions. And of course, some classrooms won't love that. And you'll be that annoying nerdy girl at the front, <laughs> like asking the seventh question. But most of the time people would come up after and say, hey, I wish that I had thought to ask that. Or, oh, I, I actually am so glad you asked that because we were all thinking it. And someone told me that if you ask people maybe you'll get shut down one out of 10 times, but nine out of the 10 times, it's going to be someone who's really flattered that you want to know about their career, which is yeah, why we're here at the podcast. Great advice <laughs> and exactly why we're here at the podcast <laughs> to have these kind of conversations. Next question that we have for you asked by students is, what are all the different options to become a qualified dietitian? Yes. So in Australia, I'll refer to it, but there are different pathways across the world. Mm. But in Australia, it's quite streamlined. You have to have a qualification accredited by the national body to become a dietitian. There's other ways to work in food and consulting. I can talk about them if you'd like. But to become a dietitian, which means you're qualified by the government and you can work in the hospital settings or for, yeah, kind of community public health roles, you have to have that qualification. Mm. The group is called the Dietitians Australia body and they kind of manage all of the courses and they make they visit all of the different universities and make sure that we're ticking boxes at each institution it gets audited I think every three to five years so it's pretty rigorous and they make sure everyone's kind of up to scratch there are some courses that have had to kind of shut down yep. or divulge or I think that's the verb <laughs> yeah 
The process I went through was an undergraduate at Flinders University. You have to have a reasonably competitive ATAR to get into the course, Mm -hmm. but then you have four years of full-time, like non-negotiable study. Mm. When I started, you couldn't even defer. It was that competitive. I think you can now, but those courses are kind of becoming fewer and far in between because the master's pathway is recommended for academic performance. So people will do an undergraduate in science or really anything, as long as they have a few nutrition or sciencey topics, and then they have to do a master's in nutrition and dietetics. And how long is the master's? Two years. Two years. So all up six years kind of looking from the outside as what is expected. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So four years as an undergrad, six years if you do the master's. And there are some courses that take it in a year and a half with like a streamlined. Streamlined kind of thing. So university is the answer. You have to go through to become accredited, to be qualified as a dietitian. Now, if you don't mind me explaining, four years and six years, right? That extra two years, how much of a competitive advantage it gives you as working in this field? Well, I graduated during the pandemic. So I was lucky in that I didn't have to be a student during that. And my heart goes out to people who did not get to even have face-to-face, you know, time. So for me, it was very, very advantageous. And I was so glad I was out in the world working, earning money, helping out. But I would say that the money that you have to spend on a master's degree is something to consider, like Mm. your hex debt, as well as the time if you need to be working. There's scholarships available for certain people Mm. and you can do masters part-time. But I notice that people just want to get out and they're so passionate by the time they're in a postgraduate that they're really keen. But uh, having said that, the people who do their master's degree have so much more vision, I think, Mm. knowing that they want to be a dietitian and they know what the role's like. They can really dig in. They're so valuable in the cohort because they have more life experience. Mm. So I think apply for whatever you can if you really want to be a dietitian. Master's pathway, I think, is a really good process to go through. Okay. Good advice and really important for our listeners to know because it is an investment. That extra two years, the hex and the amount of time that you need to put into, always important to weigh the pros and cons and and, and having that time to really reflect and see where do you want to go and what do you want to do? Yes. And I should add as well, having the postgraduate can open up pathways for academia, which is a really great area of nutrition because it's such a new um, field. There's so much research to be done. And if you've done your master's, then you can do your PhD straight away with scholarships and things. So I have to do a few more things in between because I didn't do a postgrad. Fantastic. No, I love it. Next question that we have for you is what is the most valuable aspect you took away from studying to become a dietitian? So something really memorable you were studying during university, something that just clicked and you're just like, wow, this is great. Mm, There are some really nice moments. Dietetics means you get to work with food. We had a few practicals where we were in a, like a chef's kind of kitchen in Adelaide. It's called Sprout Cooking School and we've got some colleagues there. And that was just amazing. I thought, is this really going to be my job? You know, just (laughs) cooking this, like rendering that duck fat, you know, doing all those things. Things. That was like, wow, I could really see myself doing this. And then we would apply that to cooking schools with people who don't have those resources Mm. and seeing people kind of come to life, tasting basil for the first time or picking cherry tomatoes from the community garden. Amazing, yeah. And I remember thinking, man, this is the good stuff in life. It's a real dream, that's by the sounds of it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. and just seeing that we're actually trying to come back to the basics. That was quite valuable to see that that's what a dietitian can be a part of. And I really enjoyed the global perspective of health that the student experience gave me because you can just learn all the literature, you can talk to new people in your course, you're kind of looking at other courses across the world, lots of documentaries. 
and yeah, food connects us across a table, but also everybody has to eat. And that was study gave you that opportunity to dig into it and think about that. Is that something very consistent among many courses? I mean, you studied at Flinders, that gave you a lot of practical elements. Are you aware that some institutes focus maybe more theoretical and then less practical? Or what is your observations on that? Yes, that's a great point. And I've recently been reflecting on this because I've done a bit of, I'm in academia at the moment and seeing all the different faculties that you can come through in and the types of dietitians that they produce and the research that each university is doing. For example, my university is quite interested in chronic disease, which is what my first job was. Whereas it's a university I've been talking to that are really expert in IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. And they are pumping out incredible dietitians who can really excel in private practice and do research in something that's really popular online. Mm. And each university has different things. And of course, because of that, the practical elements or the things that we have access to is going to change. And a smaller university won't have other disciplines being trained. Whereas my university, we had medical students and pharmacists and physios and optometrists all with us. Wow. Yeah. So I think the bigger the uni can often be the better, but a smaller uni might give you a bit more of a warm environment to really dig into certain things or your community. Yeah. No, interesting. I want to stay on this point because it's very important for many students to understand which university they want to go. And bigger universities, small universities, you've just explained really nicely the kind of different feel that you might get. But let's say from industry's perspective, from an employer's perspective, are they looking very specifically as to where you studied or is it just the fact that you have the skills and you know what, that's what's important? I can speak to this one well because I obviously am in Perth, but I studied in Adelaide. I did my prac in Alice Springs in the Northern Territory and also the Philippines and I have aspirations to work overseas. So I'm aware that where I studied and where they know me from is really important. So I'm grateful that the university I went to has prestige and has research because I can say, this is where I got my qualification. If someone doesn't know that university on the other side of the world or country, they can just look it up and it's there and it's reputable. That's also tied in with the Dietitians Australia tag that they have to have as an accredited body. So when you're jumping into a new job or if you want to travel for work or if you just have to travel to get your first job, which is quite common in dietetics, you either have to go rural or interstate. Quite often they'll be looking for applicants that are ambitious and capable and confident, but they know the students that they have on placement. So if it's something really important to you to be able to work in your city and you don't really want to move, you're best to study within your city or at least within your state, because then you'll be networking the whole time. But if you have a particular interest leading into nutritional dietetics and you feel adventurous and want to make the most of it, I'd highly recommend looking at a few different unis and the research they're doing, because the likelihood is they'll be doing that research for five to 10 years at least. Great advice. Moving on to the next question that we have for you, asked by students is, what does a typical day look like for you? (laughs) This is fabulous and I wish I could detail every different job I've done. (laughs) I'll stick to the one I do at the moment. Awesome. Because I actually think this might be the role that is misunderstood in the community. I currently work as a clinical dietitian in paediatrics. So I work at Perth Children's Hospital and I've done a few different roles, but I'm currently in type 1 diabetes. So my job is to look after people who have the condition, which is an autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. We don't know why... It's happening. It's very different to type 2 diabetes. And anyone up to the age of 18 in WA is one of our patients. There's about 1,500 at any given point in the state. 
We've got a team of dietitians and nurses and endocrinologists, social workers, and lots of amazing admin. We've also got a few psychologists and some physios as well. And we all work together. Each day does look different. Okay. But I guess a large portion of that is going to be a newly diagnosed child. Just this week, there was a 12-year-old who got diagnosed with diabetes and they just came into hospital really sick. Their body was very confused and then they were one of our patients. Wow. So they get planned in, they get social work support, nutrition support, nursing support, doctor support, insulin gains, all these different ideas and it's a bit of a whirlwind. And so our team's job is to welcome them into the world of type 1 diabetes and make life better for them. Um, Of course, there's a few really important safety elements of that Mm. and, yeah, they're probably more in the hands of the nurses and the doctors. Understood. And so what does that look like? You've explained it really well about what you do, but on a day-to-day basis, it sounds that you're just dealing with people. Is it eight hours in the whole day or how is it broken up just for someone who's never been in that world at all? Yes, very good point. I don't even think I described what a dietitian does <laughs> just then. So day to day, I rock up to the hospital. I ride my bike there. It's 8.30, but you want to be there maybe five to 10 minutes earlier because you've got a lot of emails and you often have a handover in the morning at 8.30 a.m. So you start at 8.30, but you have a meeting then. So I learned that the hard way when I started. <laughs> and then you're learning about your day, about who's come in, who's in the hospital and who are your outpatients. That's people who aren't in the hospital on a bed, but they need to come into the hospital for a checkup. And then then we probably have 30-minute chats with people who just need a touch base and 60-minute chats with people or 90-minute chats for people who are new to diabetes or their condition for other dietitians. Mm. Then we'll have meetings with other clinicians if there's things that are complicated. We'll have time to do our administration, our data, our statistics to make sure people know what we're doing with what our time. We also need time to write what we talk with Mm. to our patients. Mm. We need to document, write our notes. That's a really a good skill. Good skill to to have, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that took me a moment when I was a student, but I got there. (laughs) And then we have professional development because we can't just be doing our job and staying really stagnant. We need to be up to date with the research. We'll have people come in who are telling us about new products out, particularly for technology with diabetes and insulin. And we'll have team meetings and team lunches to talk about what are we going to do about this kind of patient when it happens or what do we do with the rural patients who need a bit more support. And, yeah, there's a whole host of other things, but that's the nuts and bolts of it. Nuts and bolts of Um, it. Very dynamic. Very dynamic. And it seems like quite – because it's so dynamic, it must be very – to some extent, exhausting, right? Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, is it just energizing each day or do you feel like it weighs on you? Because there's so many different things that I'm hearing for the first time. Like, wow, that I didn't know that a dietitian role can encompass so many different things every single day. And you have people coming in. I guess my question is, how do you deal with that kind of day-to-day aspect? And is it draining to a point where you're like, wow, this is, I'm feeling that? Yeah, I think it can be draining. And typically dietitians are quite understaffed. And so for the amount of work that we could be doing, we don't have enough of us. So some days you're seeing up to, you know, some, I haven't done this, but sometimes people see up to 16 people in a day, an eight hour day. That's quite a lot of people to be dealing with. And whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, that's a lot. Not to mention all the in-between things you have to do to stay safe and ethical. I'm definitely an extrovert and I like love seeing people, you know, grasp concepts and get excited about food. And that definitely energizes me. 
And sometimes there'll be really complicated patients that maybe don't want to hear what you have to say, Mm. but your job is to help them get on their way. And that can be really tiring because a general consult, you sit there, you meet this new personality at 12 years old and their parents and sometimes their grandparents or their sisters or their brothers and what's going on at school and their relationship with food and do they have access to food and where do they live? And not to mention the sport they do and the hobbies and what they're dreaming about. So You're definitely taking on a lot of people's lives, but that's probably the perk of the job as well because it's quite a privilege. And I'd love to just mention that's not the only role that you can do as a dietitian. I'm really enjoying it at the moment, but I've done a few other roles and I have colleagues in across the whole spectrum of dietetics. Sometimes they'll be running cooking classes. Sometimes they'll be just making educational resources. Some of them have fantastic like social media presences or private practices where they'll sit in the community and not work with such acutely or chronically ill patients. Some people work for the government trying to make the world healthier and some people work for food service, making sure that a particular milk brand is good. good. So yeah, there's heaps you can do as a dietitian. Excellent. Very comforting. I think for anyone listening out there, if you're interested, you have a lot of options. So Naomi, next question that we have for you asked by students is, what did you find the most challenging part of the job when you first started? I guess the first day of the job is your first day of prac, your first day of placement. We often get referred to as baby dietitians (laughs) or even just baby student dietitians (laughs) because you just have no idea how much you don't know. We spent three years normally before you get into proper prac and you're seeing your own patients. You've learned a lot about physiology and gastrointestinal tracts and the biochemical pathway of diabetes. But who the heck knows about how much flour is in roti and how that's going to affect your blood glucose levels, not to mention all those complex social factors when you meet face-to-face with a patient. I'm learning so much. (laughs) (laughs) And also also how to find your way around a hospital and where do you document and all those things. So it was a bit of an overwhelming experience. I definitely cried. And I was really grateful for my, my friend on placement because we just held, held each other's hand. Yeah. And then leading into your first job, you've done that training, you've got your tick, you're a dietitian, yep. and then you're on your own. You're in the room with a person and they just want your help. They want some answers. They often want a black and white, yes or no, is this good, is this bad? And you've got all of this knowledge and 45 minutes to talk with them. <laughs> got to go. You have to deliver. So that you know, that was challenging and, and it's a bit of imposter syndrome. You know, oh, why would they want to listen to me? I don't know. <laughs> you've been eating longer than I have. <laughs> but yeah, that you quickly fall into it. And I think mm. the best thing about being a dietitian is we've evidence-based. So as long as you're safe mm. and you're doing no harm and you're pulling from the evidence that you've mm-hmm. studied for three to six years or four to six years, that calms you down. Yeah. I also mm. found the challenging part, the time management because I wanted to spend more time with the patients than doing my emails and data and writing it down and making sure I've organized it. Yeah, that was really, I still find that challenging, but you only get better. Yeah. Experience is everything at that point, you know, but still, and I think it's really important for listeners out there, if they are jumping into a career and you're just finished or you're just looking at jumping in and finding out what it is, don't judge the career itself immediately based on what you're experiencing for the, at least for the first six months or a year or mm. even even a few years. You never know what the possibilities are and sometimes understanding and speaking to a lot of people, having a good network, a shoulder to cry on definitely helps as well. Yeah. Mm. And I think the through line I had through all of my pracs and then my first few jobs, the first few years, was just remembering the why. And it came back to the fact that food connects us. And that was that moment in university where I was thinking about, global health and food and relationships with food. 
And I thought food connects us. I love that. That inspires me. That gets me out of bed. Like toast in the morning gets me out of bed. <laughs> yeah. And those, those little fragments of moments when you see a patient get excited about their next meal yeah. as opposed to stressed about it or for them to appreciate their body instead of hate their body. Those yeah. little fragments of uh, progress or sharing, you know, a beautiful moment. It helps all those moments in between where you feel like, what am I doing here? No one wants to pay a dietitian to talk about food. No one wants to hear from me. (laughs) Yeah, it helps you think, no, no, this is valuable. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I love it. Moving on to the next question that we have for you asked by students is, what are the main perks of working in this field? Love this question. I hope it's not too cringe, but I am quite an optimist. I think there's a lot. I think working as a dietitian, it is quite a dreamy career because it's a new field. There's lots to do. You can kind of do whatever you want if you work hard at it. One of those. Food. And many people love food. Most people love food. In fact, I would say 95% of the population would love food, particularly those kids. <laughs> you see kids eating. They're just like, ah, they have food everywhere. <laughs> I think everyone wants to eat like that, but they're not allowed. Not allowed to. <laughs> so working in that way and bringing a bit of joy back to food is great mm. um, if we go philosophical. But practically, dietetics is quite a female-dominated field, which I think we need more men in the area. But in the meantime, it therefore has a lot of managers that are female who understand and support flexibility. Mm. And that's an incredible asset as a career to know that you can have a flexible work-life balance and also, you know, kick goals and be a leader and pursue a career that's really stimulating and satisfying. So that's been a great work perk that I did not anticipate. Every job is different, but I've noticed that people care about their employees. And because we're promoting health as a job, we're also, it would be a bit ironic if your job didn't promote health to the employees. The employees as well, um, yeah. Which isn't just what you eat and how you move your body. It's about how you relate to others and how you rest. And I've noticed a culture that's really positive in that way and not all jobs are like that. Getting up and stretching is something mm. that a lot of jobs just don't care about as long as you get the deadline done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can travel a lot with dietetics because nutrition work, even if you're not just in a hospital, is global and needed. And there's a lot of issues to be working through and providing your expertise on and passion. So that's really cool. Lots of room for creativity. They want big thinkers. If you're listening to this and someone's told you you're too creative or a little bit too weird for a health profession, it's not true. Humans are creative and flamboyant and yeah, we need that. So the industry is definitely warming to more ideas and a bit more colour which is great fantastic, and very inspiring to be a part of. It's so nice to hear when you talk about the career itself because you don't focus really on the specifics of the job but really about what it does and what it gives you in terms of a lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's what you make it, I think. Mm. I think there's so much, yeah, as I mentioned, it's really important to have clinical structure and those, you know, more typical conservative models. Mm. We need them. We're really grateful for them. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's what you make it and any job is going to look the same and then you're just giving different advice as a physio and OT, a project manager and admin and general manager. All those different things all have admin, they all have desk time, they all have people time but what changes is what you're promoting and what, mm. what you know about. So I guess the main perks for me, if we were to summarise it to a dietitian, <laughs> is you get to work with food. Plain and simple. Mm. Plain and simple. One of my most popular questions we get among many students, well, we've got it on this podcast and for this episode as a dietitian, is what is the pay structure like? Great question. I have to say, not every job is going to be the same. And you can be quite strategic if something financial is your goal. 
In the hospital system, you'll often be employed as a new graduate P1. This mm. is in Australia. You'll get a level one dietitian. It's a fine starting salary and it will depend on which state you're in and which hospital. Are you public? Are you private? How many hours have you been given? And you'll start at a base rate. I think it's probably something like 70 to 80K a year. Pretty good. Wow. If you're full-time. Okay, if you're full-time. And then you'll probably work at that for quite a while in the hospital or at least two to five years before you could be ready to go to a P2 position. And then, of course, a P3 position. And once you're at the P3 position, you're there. And that's over 100 to 120K a year. Of course, a lot of those roles aren't full-time as well. So you might be supplementing that with a private practice or something else. Or you might not be working full-time because at that point in your life, you might be doing some other things for that flexible work-life balance if you're a parent, for example. That's in the hospital system. And I I can't tell you exact figures because it all just changes. I'm aware that private practice, if you work really hard at it, you can make a lot of money. (laughs) But it's important to keep in mind that it's we're working with humans and they're paying you. So you don't want to be exploiting others. You can, the government recognizes dietitians as a, as a really validated health professional skill. And so you do offer your clients a certain price and then you can have a certain amount in between that. So the government will pay you maybe 60 to 80 bucks and then your patients can pay a gap or you can give it to them for free. But of course, some people can really make the most of their expertise and become specialists. They can make a lot of money. A lot of money. Wow. And some dietitians are now working online and creating products that people can just buy an ebook or buy an online course. And wow. that's quite profitable across many industries. And yeah, and I guess the longer you're in a role, particularly in those bigger institutions, you'll just get those incremental pay increases. Right. Or you can work for a not-for-profit and be very happy there. But it will pay your bills and you'll often get free food. (laughs) But yeah, so it's definitely not, you know, if you're looking just to make money, I wouldn't go into dietetics because you need to, you will start with a bit of volunteering and yeah, the nature of the work is people-focused. People-focused, yeah. And that should be the driving front. But obviously on the specifics of pay, right? You've talked about P1, P2, P3. Just for our understanding from P1 is when you start off, it sounds like a level one. What is the years of progression to get to P2 to P3? Just to understand in terms of time, how long does it take for someone to get there? Mm. So I would say an average of two to five years to get from a P1 to a P2. And within that time, you'll be doing a lot of professional development. Mm. And to actually get that role, it's quite competitive okay? because there's fewer when you get further up. You'll have to sit an interview and it will be quite a competitive process. You may even have to move hospitals if that's what you're looking for. So, of course, if you're in a smaller city and there's only two hospitals, it's a different story. You might just need to stay there and keep working. Mm. Or if you're in a smaller hospital, you might get a more senior position because no one else is around. So I have friends that are already at a P2 and we're only three years out and they were already doing it two years out because they're in a rural community. Okay. So, yeah, going rural will help you progress a bit faster and then see if those skills can transfer back to the city if that's what you want. And then probably getting to P3, that's probably after 10 to 20 years of experience. At that point, you're kind of at the highest clinician level and you're more about (laughs) managing the other staff. So that's important to keep in mind. Last question that we have for you asked by students is, is there any other career opportunities you can explore based on your skills and that you've considered doing? That's a fantastic question and something I'm really passionate about in a creative mindset that you need to have lots of different things to inspire you. You don't want to be stagnant. You don't want to get your skills and stay in one place because the world is moving really fast and you want to keep growing as a human. 
I work in children's health, so I love growth. I think it's incredible. I love emotional growth for every human and you need to be that way as well. So perhaps your career span as a dietitian will last 10 years as a typical dietitian. But the next opportunities can go from anything from running your own food company to yeah, being a, the manager of health promotion for WA. And that's really exciting. And those roles will therefore affect your work-life balance or the pay structure you're a part of. But there's lots to do. I think research is a really interesting role. So you could work as an academic. You could be lecturing to students at one second and then go to a clinic in the afternoon and just be seeing one type of patient because that's how specialist you've become. And then you could just completely sidestep and go into media because a lot of dietetics is communication. And if that's something you really like, you might see a dietitian just completely moving to marketing or media. They don't even talk about food all the time, but they're thinking about human behavior. And so there's upskilling you can do to get you there. Wow. And I've even, I've thought about that option because I really love peoples and stories. That's kind of my why. And I'll, I'll always be eating food, but you know, <laughs> yeah. And there's other things you can do like working, you could work for an airline and be a dietitian and then that could move towards consumer affairs. Or you could work just like that teacher at my high school said at the UN and you could work with food security or helping local farmers get a food supply up so that they don't need to rely on processed products or trying to fortify baby cereal for people who can't breastfeed. So those are kind of still quite nutrition focused, but there's just so many different roles you can step into. Seriously, it's absolutely blowing my mind (laughs) to know there is so many different things you can do. But more importantly, what do you want to do? Like you have all these options. Where do you go? Is this something that you've considered a little bit more in terms of really going after one thing that is outside the role that you're doing based on the skills that you have? Hmm. There is. And I'm nervous, even though I think it's good to back yourself in. I'm nervous to share it sometimes because it's a little bit of a dream and it's a bit wacky. I've mentioned briefly that I like the media and I, throughout school, was really interested in theatre. And I think that theatre and film and um, entertainment is a great way to engage people. And I also think that the current way that we educate about health can get a little bit stagnant. So if I was to say my dream career in five years, I want to be doing X, it would probably look like having a a medium-sized business with people that agree with the vision, that we're caring about people, the community they're in. It might be virtual, but it will be attached to like a theatre program or something engaging that people can come to and watch and enjoy, share a meal around probably sing some songs or hear someone sing some songs about food, get into think a bit differently so that they can leave that building, walk out the door, drive home, walk home, ride home, cook themselves a meal the next day and be kind of a little bit more refreshed in their health and food journey and hopefully contribute to a more sustainable food environment. Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, That is a very personal thing to do something that is outside your career and one that takes tremendous courage. But just to know that that's something that you want to do in five years' time, ideally, and what it could look like, Amy, I'm very excited. Oh, me too. Yeah, (laughs) I hope it happens. But I also know that those themes that I described, as long as they're happening, that's the key. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. As long as I'm working with people and food and bringing them out of themselves and seeing a flourishing life, that's good. Awesome. And that wraps up all our questions that we have for you today. For our listeners who have more questions for Naomi that did not feature on our list today and would like to connect with her, just visit our website, careerview.com.au. This is where you'll find Naomi's profile and you can send us some more questions if you want. And I'm sure she'll have some time to answer it when she can. And with every episode, please don't forget to submit the questions that you want to know, especially to young professionals who've been there, they've done that and they can share their story. 
before we let you go, one last thing I want to ask you. If you had any advice to give to anyone out there who is considering this career as a dietitian and is not sure, what would you say to them? I would encourage them to talk to a dietitian. <laughs> Something I wish I'd done. I, some, I am very happy to talk to anyone about it because I, I think that that gives you the best picture. But I would also encourage them to do an undergraduate first. Spread your wings, try different types of topics. If you're just wanting to get to uni, then just do an undergraduate and learn lots of different things. Don't just do science. Learn about politics, learn another language. That's going to make you a better dietitian anyway, if that's where you end up. But yeah, does that answer the question? It answers the question perfectly. Yeah. Think broad. Yeah. Don't think too direct. Go for it. Naomi, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you.